Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So I want to give you a glimpse today of where we are and where we are going. Right now, we're in the middle of this teaching series on anxiety, and we're looking at the handful of people in the Bible who are so overcome by anxiety that said, God, I've had enough. I would rather die than to go on living like this. And I hope that you're beginning to to have a sense of hope, that we often look at anxiety as an obstacle to our happiness, and in many cases it is, but, but think about this, the goal of life is not happiness. So instead of anxiety being our obstacle to happiness, our anxiety can actually be an opportunity for holiness, which holiness is the goal of life. And if we obey what the Scripture says and what God has revealed about taking all of our anxiety and casting it on Him, before we know it, almost without knowing it, we begin to practice the presence of God. It's anxiety as an opportunity to grow spiritually and to rely more on God and less on ourselves. So we're spending the first half of summer on this emotion of anxiety. We're going to spend the second half of summer on another emotion called anger. And as I began to kind of flesh out that whole teaching series, my mind keeps coming back to Romans 12, 21 that says this, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's so much in our world to be angry about, okay? And I think we need to hear that warning. Evil is not overcome by evil. Evil is overcome by good. Just to give a recent example, I think about the sexual scandals and the cover-up that has happened within our own Southern Baptist denomination, and I'm, I get angry about that, and many other people do as well. And one of my big concerns is people will use that as their final excuse to walk away from the church entirely and to walk away from the body of Christ. Think about that. That's trying to overcome evil by evil. We are to overcome evil by good to say, I'm staying in the body of Christ. I'm going to expect integrity and transparency from myself, but also from my church leadership, both local and denominational. That's overcoming evil with good. So the reason I mentioned those two emotions is because today they intersect, today they overlap. We're going to look at a person in the Scripture who, um, who their own anger, excuse me, their own anxiety was fueled by anger, and it's the person of Jonah. And I want to set this up for just a moment. So Jonah lived about 800 years before Jesus. He lived, in fact, he grew up kind of in the same area Jesus did, around the hills of Nazareth, but he was 800 years before Jesus, and Jonah was also 80 years before one of the biggest events in the ancient world, and that was Assyria, one of the first global superpowers. Assyria was about to invade and conquer Israel. So Jonah lived within just about 80 years, just within a a stone's throw of those events happening of Assyria, who was already a superpower in Jonah's day, coming in and moving in. So I want to start in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, and it says this, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he was angry. Okay, so we're picking up in the middle of the story. 
what happens here. Well, God speaks to Jonah, his prophet, and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh because that city has come to my attention. It's wicked. They need to repent. So now Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because that was a foreign land, okay? He was going to go to strange people who spoke strange words. I had a friend recently give me this book. It's called Speaking American. And this book kind of details um, what we all know, that people in different parts of America use different words for the same thing. I just thought this would be fun. I feel like I'm teaching kindergarten here and we're doing a little show and tell. So on this page, you can kind of see the map of America, hopefully. And up here in the north and the northwest, when you refer to a group of people, you say, you guys, okay? But what do we say here in the south? You know what we say. We say y'all, right? Um, Different language. Up here in the north and the west, people will say kitty corner. Well, that's not what we say down here. We say catty corner. Here's an interesting word. Pretty much all over the U.S., the word pancakes is used. Flapjacks has kind of seemed to have gone away. See, here's my favorite one, and having moved around the country a bit, um, out here on the west coast, it's soda. In the Midwest, or down, sorry, down here in the south, it's Coke. I grew up calling it a Coke. But, but here, right in the middle part of the U.S., and actually dipping down to take in Tulsa is pop. That's what we say, right? So we all have a natural reaction, an attraction to people who use the same language we do. And we seem to have this revulsion. We're repulsed by people who use different words. Well, for Jonah, that was really the case. The people in Nineveh spoke a different language. The people in Nineveh didn't talk the way that he did or act the way he did or believe the way that he did. And he didn't want to go to this capital city of Nineveh and preach repentance. And you need to know that Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. This would be the nation that 80 years later, and Jonah could see it coming as clear as day. He could read the writing on the wall that these would be the people to come in and conquer Israel. And so he didn't want to go preach repentance to them. He wants to let them burn. So Jonah boards a ship, and he goes in the opposite direction. And here's the cool thing about the book of Jonah. Jonah's not the main character. God is. Because at every plot point, God is there to turn Jonah back to the direction he should be going. God sent a wind. And then God sent a fish. And then God caused that fish to vomit Jonah up on the shore back toward Nineveh. Um, I often joke here at this point that when Jonah was in the belly of the fish, God said, Jonah, there are two exits from this fish. Which one do you want, right? God caused Jonah to be vomited up, and he went to Nineveh to preach repentance. He did, and they did. And Jonah didn't like this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, that God was given these pagan people a second chance. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became very angry. His anxiety was fueled by his anger, and so he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord? Isn't this what I told you when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, and he lists off five characteristics of God that go all the way back to the time of Moses, that you are gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. God, you are too nice. Jonah's anger and his anxiety is fueled 
by the grace of God. Isn't that backwards? Now, Lord, take away my life. Here it is. For I, I am better off dead than I am alive. God, if this is the way the world is, I don't want to live anymore. And God asks a question in verse 4. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? That's a great question. And I know we're talking about anxiety, and we'll talk about anger later on uh, this summer, but that's a great question. If you're an angry person, is it right for you to be angry? I've often used the definition of wisdom as wisdom is doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason. I think that formula should apply to anger. We should be angry at times, but we need to make sure that we're angry at the right way, at the right time, and for the right reasons. And so often our anger isn't justified. Our anger is not right. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Now, here's what's about to happen and what we're going to walk through today. So I already mentioned that three times in the book of Jonah that God sent a wind, he sent a fish, he caused the fish to vomit Jonah up. Three times God is a part of the major plot points of Jonah. Now, three more times in this chapter, it says God provided And he's going to provide three things. He's going to provide a vine. He's going to provide a worm. And he's going to provide a wind. Now, I want you to think about those three things. What do they have in common? A vine, a worm, a wind. None of them are are miraculous. None of them are particularly special. None of them are just, you know, mind-blowing. They're normal, ordinary things. And God is trying to communicate to Jonah. Jonah... This is the way the world works. And you're causing yourself so much anxiety fueled by your anger because you are not in touch with reality, okay? So let's walk through this and see how God teaches Jonah in his anger-fueled anxiety and maybe how he can teach us as well because we live in a pretty angry world and that's causing a lot of people to be anxious. So verse 5 of Jonah 4, Jonah had gone out and he sat down east of the city of Nineveh. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. He knew people were repenting and God wasn't going to destroy, but maybe he's holding out a little bit of hope that maybe God's judgment's going to come down anyway. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and it grew up over Jonah and gave shade to his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. So people still do this in the Middle East today. They still will build a little structure, a little wooden lean-to, and they'll plant vines next to it, and, and sometimes we do this in trellises and back porches. A vine will grow up, a fast-growing vine will grow up and provide a bit of shade. That happens, and Jonah is pleased by this plant, just this this little bit of grace that God gives. He's pleased with it. Can I use this as just an opportunity to dispel kind of a misbelief that we often have in Christian circles? Sometimes we'll we'll say, um, well, you know, the physical is bad and the spiritual is good. Anything physical is, is evil, right? It's of the flesh. Careful, okay? That's more Greek philosophy than it is Christian theology. We live in a good world where good happens. We, we, life is meant to be good. We're meant to enjoy life. I can prove that to you from Scripture just by the first verse. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created and his creation was good. So as this leaf, leafy vine, grows up over Jonah, pretty much he says to himself, I deserve this. But there's a subtext to this. I deserve this. They don't. God, thank you for your goodness over me. I, I deserve your goodness. But those Ninevites over there, they don't deserve your goodness. I just read a story this last week. Uh, a man in West Germany, this was back in 2014. Uh, he was in a local casino. He was playing. The authorities recognized him. He had a warrant out on, for his arrest um, because of uns, some unpaid fines. So the police moved in, and they were getting ready to cuff him. They said, you need to, need to pay $900 in fines, or you're going to go to jail for 71 days. Just as they came to arrest him, he had put some money into a slot machine, and he won. He literally won. He had a $900 fine. He won $1,200, and he was able to pay his fine right there at that moment in cash. And he had $300 left over. Probably would buy him a tank of gas today, right? So here's, here's the idea of, of here's a man just wildly blessed out of nowhere. Wouldn't we like it to happen to us that way? That the next time we had an unexpected expense or some high bills that all of a sudden we just we just struck the jackpot. I deserve that. But other people don't. Here's the deal. And it's what theologians call common grace. And Jesus actually said this, that God causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We need to be careful about talking about what I deserve that other people don't. Well, the Lord provided this leafy plant Verse 7, but at dawn the next day, the Lord provided a worm. And that worm chewed the plant so that it died. Interesting, George Harrison of the Beatles, when he died in 2004 in L.A., there's a little park there in L.A., Griffith Park, and they planted a pine tree in honor of George Harrison, the former Beatle, right? Um, ironically, a few years later, that pine tree was destroyed by beetles. <laughs> Just a, a little moment of irony, right? So here's this vine that's growing up over Jonah, and it pleases him. But it says, God also provided a worm. Actually, the word for that could be translated as beetle. And he comes and chews away this vine and separates it from the root, and it dies. I'm convinced there's a larger message here than just this one vine and this beetle. Because throughout the scripture, the nation of Israel is often referred to as a vine in the Lord's vineyard, right? So this vine that is growing, it's connected to the ground, the Holy Land. And one day, Nineveh is going to be like that creepy crawly that's going to go down and sever the people from their land, and it will shrivel, okay? This is not the message Jonah wants to receive, and instead of saying, God, I deserve this, but they don't, now he starts thinking, God, I don't deserve this. I, I deserve this shade, but now I'm, I'm exposed to the sun. I don't deserve this, but they do. Why is bad things falling on me? Listen, this is just the way the world works. Good happens. Bad happens. Sometimes irrespective of the fact that you are a follower of God or you are not. But oftentimes in Christian circles, we get this entitlement feeling. 
and we think about what I deserve that others don't or what I don't deserve that others do, listen, there's only one place in the universe that everyone gets what they deserve. You know where that place is called? It's called hell. And some of you might not be worried about going to hell because you're already living there. You're already living in a place where you wrestle with the reality of the world because you're not getting what you think you deserve and other people are not getting what you think they deserve. Oh, that's hell, isn't it? And so our anger at that can fuel an anxiety. Well, the story didn't end there. God provided a vine, he provided a worm, now he's gonna provide a wind. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. It would be better for me to die than to live. So what happens here is actually still happens in the Middle East today around what we would consider to be ancient Assyria, ancient Nineveh. It's a wind that blows in off of the Arabian desert called the Sirocco, not the Sudoku. The Sirocco. It's a wind that happens periodically at certain times of the year that if you can imagine a wind coming in off the Arabian desert, it would be like a convection oven, this hot, dry air. And where it's already 90 degrees outside, the temperature may jack up more than 22 degrees, and every moisture, every bit of moisture in the air, including the moisture on your skin, is just sucked out. If you can imagine what it's like to wear a, a, a a nylon glove, you know, where it's just real tight. That's the way all of your skin feels. And Jonah is angry. And this is where he gets to the point that his anger boils over, his anxiety takes over. I no longer want to live like that. And God, or excuse me, Jonah says to God, and you know what he's already said, I deserve this, they don't. I don't deserve this, they do. Now Jonah gets to the point where he says, God, you don't deserve me. You don't deserve my life. I would rather die than live in a world like this. How backwards can you get? Because when we really embrace faith, when we really understand who God is and who we are, we say, God, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve you in my life. Well, Jonah got that flipped on its head. God, you don't deserve me. A few years ago, a man in Russia, his name was Alexei Ronoff. He went on a three-bottle-of-vodka bender and got so disgusted with his life, he decided to jump out the fifth floor of his apartment. Somehow he lived. He dropped five stories. He probably landed on some kind of covering. He lived. He walked back up to his apartment. His wife started nagging at him for his stupidity. You know what he did? He jumped out the window again, and he lived again. After that, he decided, you know what? I better stop drinking. I think that sounds like a good idea. Here's the deal. Sometimes we just, we, we look at circumstances and we look at people and they're, they're nagging us and, and things look bad. So we just think, I, I just want to end it all. I, I, I no longer want to give my life to God. Jonah finds himself in a place that's entirely backwards from what a relationship with God looks like. We should be saying to God, I don't deserve you. But Jonah got to the place where he said, God, you don't deserve me. And so God goes back to this question again. The same question he asked in verse 4, he asked in verse 9, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? 
Johnny, you couldn't see things on such a big scale. I'm, I'm just asking you now to just to focus on sometimes God uses small things to teach us big lessons. Why are you upset about this plant? John Paul Sartre was not right when he said, Hell is other people. I do not agree. Hell is how you think about other people. And just for a moment, and, and God draws all of Jonah's attention down to this one little plant. Maybe we ought to just draw our attention down to a very simple thing. How do you see other people? Do you see other people only as a means of your happiness? If so, then all you're going to do is you're going to go through life manipulating people. Do you see people as an obstacle to your happiness? If you see people as an obstacle to your happiness, then you're going to go through life not manipulating them, but trying to eliminate them. Or do you see people as irrelevant to your happiness? If that's the case, then you're going to live your life indifferent toward others. But none of these things, manipulation, elimination, indifference, none of these things are what we're commanded to do. What are we commanded to do? We're commanded to love other people. My encouragement to you is quit keeping score about what other people deserve or not. Let God deal with other people, and you deal with God. Because in having Jonah focus on this little bitty plant, God says to Jonah, Jonah, you can't handle the big picture. You can't see reality as I see reality. So would you trust me with that? Let me treat other people as I see fit, and I want you to trust me, which that is right and that is good. So we have this larger picture that maybe we can see just a little bit bigger picture than Jonah because our New Testament Jonah is somebody by the name of Jesus. And Jesus too, like Jonah, was asked to go to this faraway country and communicate the truth to the enemies of God. That's us here on earth. But Jesus didn't go grudgingly. He went willingly to this far country. Jesus himself would give this message of repentance. And Jesus himself would go into the belly, not of the fish, but go into the belly of the earth. In his resurrection, in our repentance, will restore our relationship with God. Jesus is our Jonah. And Jonah just gives us a little bit of foretaste that God sees a much bigger picture than we ever could. I'll just uh, end this by telling you a story that I find absolutely fascinating. It's about a man by the name of Davy Blair. Davy Blair was the second officer on the White Star Cruise Line, which back in the day before airplanes, the way to cross the ocean was not in eight hours on a jet, uh, but it was eight days on a ship. So uh, Davy Blair was a brand new second officer on the White Star Lines, and he was assigned to this particular ship to go across the Atlantic Ocean, but on the last minute, another more senior officer said, I'm taking your spot, you're going to take the next ship, and kind of demoted Davy Blair to this lesser ship. And he was disappointed, of course, but he'd been on this ship long enough to be given the keys to the crow's nest and to the locker in the crow's nest that contained the binoculars. 
Davy Blair was just not thinking about it. He already had the keys, but he was ordered to leave the ship, and he did. He didn't walk off with the keys intentionally, and he would take the next ship and cross the Atlantic safely. But the ship that he was kicked off of was called the Titanic, and it's long been debated whether if Davy Blair had not taken that key with him and in the crow's nest if they had had the key to that locker and inside the locker were the binoculars and with those binoculars could somebody have looked out and seen the iceberg sooner and avoided it and the Titanic never would have sank well we'll never know but what we do wonder about is what it would have been like to have been in that crow's nest and to see a larger vision so I wonder what it would be like for us if we try as much as we can to get out of our petty anxieties, to let go of our petty anger, and to see a bigger vision of life that's not about us. It's a bigger picture of what God is doing in the world that Jonah couldn't see, but maybe through Jesus comes in a little more focus. And to adopt a vision of what God is doing, not treating other people as they deserve, but what is embodied in those words is now embodied in Christ, that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, abounding in love, not angry, and relenting from sending calamity. That God is one who is not overcome by evil, but he overcomes evil with good. Father, I pray for all of us who maybe are a little ticked off at the way the world is and the way you're deciding to run it right now. Maybe we need to see a larger vision. Maybe we need to trust you a little bit more and be less concerned and consumed by what we think other people deserve, to be grateful for your grace, and to trust you with the big pictures that we can't see. And maybe just knowing that you have all things in hand that our anger and our anxiety will subside just a bit as we know you so well that we trust you no matter what. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may God grant you peace now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.